We've been in a, in a series that we're calling The Way Distinctives, and what this is is just trying to demonstrate to the church at large how we're going to handle certain distinct issues or certain issues that actually make us distinct, not just from the world, but sometimes distinct from other local churches. And so far, we've dealt with the Bible, and we, we recognize that the Bible is God's inerrant and in, in, uh, inspired word, sorry, inerrant and inspired word, and because of that, it becomes our foundation or the way that we measure faith and practice. It's, it's, it's where we live out of. It's, it's the foundation of our movements, as, of our organization, of our ideas, and from there we live. And last week we began talking about the church, and the church, we defined it, uh, and I'm just going to summarize that definition today. We won't necessarily read through it, but it, this, this idea will become kind of foundational for the next two weeks. It's the church is the people of Christ who've been bought by him, the people of Christ doing the work of Christ under the headship of Christ. So it's the people of Christ, people who have been bought by him doing the work of Christ, living on his mission and living in obedience to him under his headship. And so we don't have to deal with, as we work through these next two weeks and talk about organization and, and how the church is organized, we don't have to figure out any longer well, wait a minute. Well, what does it mean that the church is organized? What's the church? Who's in the church? Because we know the, the defining factor for every member of the church, whether you're talking church-wide or local church, no one can be a member of the church without being bought by the blood of Christ, without being redeemed. And that's not our rule. We're not trying to be divisive. We're not trying to be hurtful to people who don't follow Christ or who haven't trusted Christ. We want them to be here. We want them to be in, involved with us. We want to reach out to them. We want to love on them. We want to demonstrate mercy and grace to them. But the reality is, is that we can't call them members if they haven't been bought by the blood of Christ because that's what Jesus said. That's who he said belongs in his body. So we don't have to deal with that, but what does it mean that we're organizing? I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a whole idea that for some people today is just, they, they, they balk at it, it, it makes them nervous. Organized religion, just I don't like it. Well, what do you have if you don't have organization? You've got this amoebic thing that nobody really knows what to do with it. So there's whole groups of churches that try to just be together. But is that, is that representative of the God that we know? I mean, consider it. The God that's demonstrated himself through Scripture, is he a God that just is haphazardly going through things and just haphazardly throwing things together? Absolutely not. He's a God of order. I mean, you consider the way he's put creation together, and you, you consider the, 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 um, how specific it is. The reason we know that there's a creator, the reason we can be confident beyond what we've come to know in our faith is that the complexity of it demonstrates there's a, there's a creator, that there's a designer. And so even people outside the church recognize this, and they don't have to be Christians to believe in intelligent design that something made this. There's all kinds of ideas for that. Some people think the aliens did it. I, I watched all the X-Files, every one of them, and I realized that that was their... That was, their, that, that's, that was their message, and they wanted everybody to believe this because it, especially towards the end, it was in every show just about the, the aliens did it. The ancient race of aliens. Stargate Universe. Or not, star, not just Stargate Universe, but the whole Stargate series. Seen every one of them. Netflix is my friend. 
And they are the same thing. This whole race of ancient aliens created this. So even outside the church, there's some whacked out ideas and there's steps of faith that, that people don't even recognize are steps of faith. But there's ideas and recognition that there is something, something had to put it all together because it's too organized. So we recognize as we come to this God who created and, and, and he put it in, in, in such complex design that if anything was off just a little bit, it wouldn't work. And scientists say that if the earth was any closer or any further away from the from the sun, it wouldn't support life as we know it. You know, we'd probably, I don't, I don't know, we wouldn't breathe oxygen maybe. I don't, I don't know what would be different. But it wouldn't support us. And everything, everything in creation screams for this. And so we recognize God is more than just a God who haphazardly throws things together. He's intentional. He's a God of order. A God who designs and creates with specific purpose. And so we can't think that the church is not meant to be organized. We, we have to recognize that, that we, we can't be to that extreme and we can't step away from, from order and organization and think, oh, organized religion, I'm just not going to have anything to do with it. It's dangerous, really. Because really what you're doing is saying, God, because your people are so screwed up, I don't want anything to do with you. That's kind of a bad attitude. But on the other end, on the other end of that is, is institutional religion, this institution where, where church has become more about country club ideals and, and the idea of being a member is more about like being a stockholder and just getting to show up and cast a vote from time to time and getting your say about what color carpet's on the floor and whether or not you'll have contemporary service or traditional service. And see, there's these two extremes and there's this misunderstanding about what, what organization and church order is meant to be. And really a large part of that is because we don't understand membership and the biblical ideas and the biblical, and the biblical foundation of what membership is. It's because of this anemic idea of membership that, that says that church is an institution or it's a corporation. Now, I, I'll, I'll tell you the way we are an, a nonprofit corporation. And so there's certain laws that we're bound to. We have to operate in, in, in conjunction or, or under the authority of federal laws because we have incorporated and we have, we have specifically done that for, pur for a purpose. But the reality is some people never move past the idea that it's just a corporation. And this anemic idea of what membership is leads to, to statistics and church people, people that study the church coming up with, with statistics that say, they call it the 80-20 rule. 80% of the, or I'm sorry, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And 20% of the people do 80% or, or give 80% of the money. That's the 80-20 rule. It, it applies for service and it applies for money. And I heard recently, in fact, I heard Ed Stetzer say, this is what we, we should call this the 80-20 sin. Because obviously, and we've studied this recently as we've gone through the vision, the Bible calls Christians to 100%. 100% of service, 100% of, of funding, our life, every one of us that call this home, we should be involved in some way, giving back. But we've grown and been handed this anemic idea of what membership is, and, and we've been given this anemic idea of what church, church organization is supposed to be. So my hope today is as we talk about membership and the thing that, that, that's distinct about the ways membership is that I'll equip you to understand the weight 
of your role as a member in the church. The, the, the preciousness of, of your role as a member in the church. That, that you'll recognize that it's not something that's simple and just I get to show up and take what I want and go home and just go about my business. There's so much more. It runs so much deeper. I don't want us to be an anemic church with a false idea of what it means to be members of the body of Christ. And I don't want us to be a church that's so scared of organization that we run to the other extreme and just throw it all out the window. Neither is healthy. And really neither is biblical. But as we talk about membership today, I'm going to give you two perspectives about membership, about church membership, that, that I think will help you grasp it, help you understand it, help you understand the weight of it, the importance of it, why it is that we we do it and we talk about it. And that's that church membership is ownership. And church membership is partnership. And we're going to start with church membership is ownership. I don't want you to get the wrong idea because none of us own the church. It doesn't belong to us. The church was saved by Christ and for Christ. He's the one that, that, that owns it. In fact, last week, if you, if you think back to the passages from last week, we're not going to go back there. But 1 Peter, we were reading, and it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that there's a verse that says that we are a people of his possession or for his possession. He owns the church. It's Jesus's. He, he owns it. It belongs to him. He saved it. It's, you know, you could call it his bride. You call it whatever. But we are owned by Christ. He bought us. He redeemed us. He, he paid the price for us. And so he owns us. And I know for some people that's this idea that that's kind of grates against your soul because you want to be your own boss. But remember, to be the church, we are under his headship and under his authority. So we, we don't, don't forget that definition. Don't forget those passages. But ownership, as I'm talking about today, it's not about us owning it, but, but more recognizing that we have a mission that we've been given and it's ours to do. We have a responsibility as believers to, to do something because we are part of the church. So ownership is more about, it's not about calling everything mine. It's about recognizing that I'm not just a consumer and taking what I can give, but I'm an investor that's looking for what I have to give. I'm not just a consumer looking for what I can take, but I'm an investor that's looking to give back and put it back in. And see, that's the idea of ownership, membership as ownership, is it's a two-way street. Certainly you have needs. Every one of you do. Certainly, every one of you, I could probably sit with you and talk with you, and I bet we have, I bet every person in here represents some different struggle that they're experiencing in their life. I bet every person in here has some need that they'd like to see met. I, I, I do. I mean, it's the reality of our, our conditions, the reality of where we're at. And so we certainly need, we, we certainly have needs that we'd like to have met. But the truth is, if we sit and talk long enough, we can also demonstrate that you have something to offer as well. And ownership recognizes that this is a two-way street, that the mission has been given to us, not just a select group of people, and it's ours to do. So, for example, the, the whole building campaign. 
in traditional churches, more institutional churches, you know who runs the, the building campaign and, and is in charge of making sure money's raised? A finance committee and, and the pastor. You know who's responsible in our church to, to see a building campaign done? Everybody that says they're a member of the church. And so as I talk about, hey, I've got this whole list of names. My wife has a whole list of names. You know why, you know why I want you to hear that? Why would I want you to know, and I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you remember it, we're actually looking at possibly cashing in a 401k that's, that's relatively small if we can make the numbers look right and it doesn't all go to taxes and, and, uh, and penalties. We might cash it in and donate it to the church. Why would I want you to know that? Because I want you to pat me on the back? No, because I want you to recognize this is important and I want, you to lead, I want to lead you in it, but it's not just mine to do by myself. It's not just the leadership's responsibility to see this happen. If you're a member of the church, you know who owns this responsibility? If we're going to see it happen, the members of the church. It's ownership. It's recognizing the value of what's here. Why, what, what has the way meant to you? What has the way done in your life? Hey, you've received. What do you have to give back? That's why we're doing videos down the hall. It's not just about money. Don't hear, it's because I'm talking about the video. It's not just about money. I'm talking about the building campaign. And, and that's why I'm emphasizing money. But it's not just about money. What's God done in your life? If you're going to be a member here, you need to be an owner here. And you need to own the mission. And here's the deal with ownership. Ownership comes with two traits that I, I think also will help you kind of understand it. It's authority and responsibility. You see, in some church governments, some church governments, the only authority that's ever demonstrated is from the, from the clergy or from, especially like if you consider the Roman Catholic traditions, that all the authority rests on the, the, the leadership, the clergy. And, and all the bishops, you know, especially the, the, they focus on the Pope and he's the, he's the highest of them all and he's got it all figured out. And he's, you know, when he speaks, boy, people listen. All the authority rests there. But here's the reality is that Christ calls us all a priesthood of believers. Every one of us. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to set some people aside as a priesthood of believers and they're going to make sure everything gets done as the rest of you kind of tag along and enjoy what's going on. That's not what he said. In fact, the scriptures tell us that there are certain things that he specifically gives the church at large authority to do. The church has authority. To proclaim the gospel. Did you recognize do you recognize that? It's not just my job. It's not just a leader's job to get up and proclaim the gospel. Certainly that it's my responsibility to proclaim it in this setting. But as the church, do you recognize you don't have to ask anyone permission to go out and talk about the good things that God is doing in your life? In fact, there's scripture and, and examples in scripture where they defied laws. The apostles defied laws to do this because the authority of the church in that area overrides the authority of the land. And he says, go and proclaim the truth. Go and tell them about the good things that God's doing in spite of everything else because that's our authority. That does, I'm not giving you that permission. I'm not giving you that authority. Listen, 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, step back a verse. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus owns it all. He's the one that has authority. But look immediately. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has the authority. And then immediately gives his followers authority to go and follow his command. Immediately. And you think, oh, well, he's talking to the disciples there. You know, those are church leaders. That doesn't really apply to me. Oh, but it does because he says, go and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's a command that he just gave them that every disciple is meant to follow. Every disciple is meant to follow that. Every disciple is, is to, is to carry, it carries that authority. It starts with Christ and it's been given to his people. And the church has authority to proclaim the gospel. The church has authority to do ministry. Again, you don't need my permission to serve one another. You don't need my permission to meet one another's needs. You don't need anybody's permission to do that. You don't need my permission or my input to go back and sign up and, and help with Kids Way. The church has authority to do that. Certainly, in some situations with kids, we're going to want to know who you are. We're probably going to do a background check. But if you want to do it, man, well, you don't need our permission to get up and minister. You don't. The church at large has authority to do that. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift. Recognize, as each has received a gift, everybody in the room, this accounts for you all. Whether you're a member of this local church or a member of the church uh, at large, you have received a gift. He says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. You don't need permission to do that. You, as believers, as members of the body of Christ, have authority to serve. You don't have to have a list of degrees behind your name. You don't have to have a special a special um, title. You, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to be on some special leadership team. The church has authority to do ministry. The church has a calling to do this. It says in Romans 12, 4 through 6, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on, and if you wanted to read that through a little further, he's going to give you a whole list of different spiritual gifts. And if you have that spiritual gift, use it. Don't wait and hope that you find some special place. Look, and when you see a need, meet it. And see, the church has authority to do that. The church has authority to perform church discipline. This is another one. It's another one that everybody wants to set aside and, oh man, this is for the leaders to do. Church discipline doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with the elders of the church. You know where church discipline starts? With you and yourself over and over and over. The scriptures call us to self-discipline. And here's the other thing. Church discipline is not a, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's, it's looked on as, as dirty because when people think of church discipline, they think of that last stage where somebody's being kicked out, you know. 
That's always what comes up. That's, that's the picture people get in their mind. And church discipline is not about that. It's about making, encouraging, and standing next to one another, making sure that we are following together and living in obedience to Christ, living under His headship. Matthew 18, 15 through 20, just one of many passages that refer to church discipline. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Recognize, now we're going to deal with church discipline much more specifically and in detail over the next in the next few weeks. But hear this. Your brother demonstrates a, a, a level of relationship, a level of connection. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So first, here's your life. I'm living as, as, as a self-disciplined person, striving to be the holy person God's called me to be. Screwing it up sometimes. I'm, I'm faulted, man. I am a, I'm, a, I'm a screwed up dude. Just, just ask my wife. She'll tell you. But I strive. I, I struggle. I, I live for it. I, I do the best I can. And when somebody sins against me, it's not my responsibility to sit and tell my friends about it and make sure that everybody else in the church knows about it. It's my job to go and, and talk to that person directly. Man, you have hurt me. You've sinned against me. So it continues. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along. He doesn't say anything about letting anybody else know until that person hasn't responded at the first stage. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, a lot of people want to designate this, this word church, and they want to say, well, that refers to the church leadership. But that's not really handling the word in the way it's intended. Now, as we talk next week about leadership, your leaders are, 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 are striving and wanting to represent the body well. And so there will probably be times that the church leadership handles some church discipline that it won't necessarily go out to everybody. I mean, it's just a reality of it. We can't get the church together every time somebody screws up. It's just not going to happen. It's, it's, it's not realistic. It's not practical. However, whose authority is it? It's Christ's authority given to the church. We are all responsible for church discipline. We're all responsible to one another for the good of the church. The good of the testimony of the church. To let one another know. To confront one another with truth and in grace. But the church also has authority to conduct and, and carry on spiritual warfare. Our lives, I mean, it's difficult for us to see this. I recognize this because we live in such a physical, tangible world and we're surrounded by just so much stuff that keeps our attention and draws us in. But we live in the midst of a war that is real and that's killing people. I mean, people aren't just half dying, they're dying. This is real life and death. Eternity's in the balance this kind of warfare. And Paul says, Ephesians 6, 11 through 12, to the whole church, this is not to the elders of the church, this is not to the leaders of the church, but to the whole church, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly places. The reality is, is that we are all responsible to fight this fight. Every, every church member is, is to live a holy life. Every church member is to depend upon the power and, and presence of God in their life. And every church member is called to this fight. And if you follow that through even further, if you go to the end of his explanation about the armor of God and standing for this fight and fighting this spiritual war, he immediately turns not to get up and charge, but to bow down and pray. And that's the way we do it. You don't recognize. It's hard for us to see exactly what our prayers mean to other people. But let me give you an example. About three weeks ago, Four weeks ago, I was really struggling with the introduction to a sermon and how to get it started and how to. And if you if you hear me talk, I mean it happens all the time. It's, it's nothing new. I mean, it's you're you're fortunate that I'm even able to get up here and do it at all. In fact, I asked Faith and Nathan, and they'll tell you it's a wonder we got that video done. If they weren't so good at what they do, it wouldn't be done. But the reality is, is this: I was struggling, and I just said something to Amy in passing. We were driving down the road, and I was. It's like, man, I do not know how I'm going to get started into this. And she started praying. I didn't know she was praying. I had no idea. But I can, I mean, I said it, and seconds later, it just flooded my mind. And the beauty of this illustration floods my mind. I'm like, oh, that's what, that, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's what I'm going to do. And I was like, I just figured it out. She says, uh-uh. She kind of, her voice is trembling a little bit. I'm like, yeah, really? I mean, I just, I said it, and then, you know, just seconds later, it just all unfolded in my mind. And she's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I just, I just prayed for you. Man, you, you don't even recognize it most of the time. The, the things that we're going to find and, and, and that we're going to succeed in, is, it's not because Seth figured something out, or you figured something out, or you're so talented. It's because we're going to be seeking and standing on and depending on the power and presence of God. I, I, I really believe this. I, I, I believe this with all my heart that the success of this church is going to start in groups like we have that meets every Sunday morning, 930, that prays for what we're doing and striving to be as a church. But, but it shouldn't stop there. We're all members of community groups. We all should be doing this at home when we're alone. I mean, and, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I, there's times I need to turn off Netflix and get on my knees and pray. I mean, if I hadn't spent all the time watching Stargate Universe so I could tell you that they think the aliens created the world, how much more could I have prayed? It's just the reality of it. But I'm not the only one guilty of it either. And it's easy. It's easy to sit here and think about it. But the reality is we have the authority to do this. We have the authority to stand in the gap and pray for God to move. Not because we get to command God, but because He says, my church, my people have authority to fight this fight. It's His authority given to us to use. And here's the flip side. Everything we have authority to do, we are responsible to do. It doesn't work. You don't get authority without having responsibility. So you simply just replace the word authority with responsibility. The church has the responsibility to proclaim the gospel. We're responsible to do that. The church has responsibility to do ministry. The church has responsibility to do church discipline. 
the church has responsibility to carry out spiritual warfare. That's our job. It's our responsibility. We have been given authority by Christ. And now we're responsible to do it. You know what? The membership of the church needs to own this. This is ours. God works for us but does not do our work for us. He's called us to it. We're responsible to do it. The church membership, church membership is ownership. The second distinctive, the, the st- second idea is that the church membership is partnership. There's a danger in recognizing only our ownership. Because here's what happens. If, 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 if it's all about me getting my job done and making sure that I'm out there owning the mission, it's easy to begin to think that we're all alone or we're the only ones doing it. And so we begin to disregard or, or, or ignore or not even recognize the other ministries that people are doing. We begin to think that everything in the church should revolve around our ministry. I'll give you an example, and I, I don't mean this in a negative light. I, I want you to understand this is, is I'm happy about this because it demonstrates that there's people given to seeing their ministries completed. But as we've talked about the building, I, I can't tell you that it, it just is the way it happens. Everybody wants to do and, and, and look at the building based on their own ministry. Oh, we can use this and we can do this. And, we, and it's like, yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm glad for the passion. I encourage the passion, dream, man, dream, and just and, and get in, excited about this idea, but recognize that there's more ministries than one that's got to happen. See, because church membership is about partnership. You see, in Ephesians 4, we looked at this last week, and I'm just going to touch on this as I've illustrated this. He says, it says that he's called some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, shepherds, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the, for the working of the ministry. And then if you look and, and watch what, what he talks about, as, as Paul talks about in different places, the, the spiritual gifts that are given. He never talks about just one spiritual gift. He always talks about the breadth of them. In 1 Peter chapter 4, when he talks about that each one has been given a gift and now use it for, to demonstrate God's grace in its various forms. He's talking about this beauty, this, this, this um, diversity, this, this sharing of, of authority and power and ministry and equipping so that the church is moving as a body. And in fact, we read it from Romans chapter 5 a minute ago. That there are many gifts given. And that there's many members that make up one body. And see, the truth is, is that we're only a body because we're a bunch of individuals that are brought together by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, 5 specifically, I'm going to look, I want us to look back at that. It says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see, we belong to one another. It's not just that we are people that are loosely connected because we hang out together on Sundays. We belong to one another. We're responsible to one another. We need one another. And we need every part of the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 19-21, if all were a single member. So if everybody looked exactly the same and if everybody had one ministry and if everybody did looked exactly, if, if we were just cookie cutters of the same person, we were all Billy Grahams. Here you go, we're all Billy Grahams. 
Where's the body? He says it. If all were a single member, where would the body be? You see, the reality is, is the body needs hands. The body needs arms. The body needs feet. The body needs legs. The body needs the different parts to be the body. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We need it all. We need every one of our people recognizing that they have a part to play and that the person standing next to them has just as an important part to play. If you're an evangelist type person, and we need evangelists in the church, we need evangelists in this church. People who are gifted and given to it, whose whole lives, they just feel like that's what I exist for. That's great. That's awesome. We need you. We need you doing what you do. But recognize that, oh, we're not meant to be evangelists. We're all responsible to evangelize. But we're all not meant to be evangelists. Some of us are teachers. Some of us are shepherds. Some of us are, are, are servants behind the scenes that are just make sure that all of these things come together. We need everyone. And every role is important. Recently I heard at Stetzer, I, I'll, let me just say this. Um, when you think of terms of membership, we, we use that word because that's the word that's demonstrated in Scripture. But when Paul is using the word, he's not talking about member of a club. He's not talking about member of an organization. He's talking about a member of a body. So like a hand, my arm, that's a member of my body, right? And recently I heard Ed Stetzer give an illustration. And he said, you know, on, if any of you have, has anybody lost a finger? Cut off something? Okay, maybe not. Well, I mean, if you had, that's a day you're going to remember, right? That's going to be a bad day. If you get dismembered, it's a bad day. If a guy leaves a corporation, that's, you know, it's forgettable. If a member of a, a country club quits paying his dues and quits showing up, the vast majority of people won't even notice. But when you get dismembered, it's a bad deal. My Amy's grandfather, in fact, was cutting the grass, and I don't know how he did it, but somehow his foot got underneath the lawnmower, and he cut his big toe off. I'm going to tell you, he probably, well, I know he remembered that day because he could tell you the story. And the rest of that day was uneventful. But he could remember events in that day that led up to the point that he cut his toe off because he cut his toe off. You get dismembered, all of a sudden that's an eventful day. It's a bad day. But that's what membership in the church is about. You are part of a body. And you own a mission. You've been given a job to do. And you are partners with other parts of the body to see it through. So as we talk about membership at the way and as we challenge people to sign covenants, in fact, I got a copy of the covenant right here. As we talk about it, you know, we, 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 just a list of things. Keep God first. That's not just for you. It's important for you to keep God first. But you know who else it's important for? The rest of the body. Study God's Word. That's not just for you. That's important to us as well. Living community. I, I hope you have some great friends. And I hope that if you're visiting today, you're able to plug in and find a place where you belong. Because in the body of Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, you belong. But it's not just for you. Serve your community. See, turn your ideas, turn your attention. Use God-given time 
talents, treasures to make sure that the body is able to function and do what it's supposed to do. Live and examine life. That's church discipline. Starts with you. Pray for one another. Fight in that spiritual warfare. Be a missionary. Proclaim the gospel. You see, the idea is, is that you and I, as members of the church, as signing a covenant, it's not just about having a piece of paper in my file and cabinet at home that I can call you up and say, hey, you're not living up to the covenant. The reality is, is that you recognize that you own this mission and that you're partners in this mission. Let's pray. Father, you're good, you're gracious. Obviously, we don't even deserve to have a church. We didn't deserve for you to do this work. We didn't. You don't need us to do this work. You don't need us for anything. But God, you have blessed us with a family, a spiritual family that we know and call home, God, that you are working in and among. And God, I think about the people that are in this room, the people that, that are part of the church that aren't here today. I, I think... God, I'm, I can consider each face and I can, I can think about how you're working, how you have worked, what you have done in their lives. I'm, God, I'm so thankful for that. I thank you for the honor it is for me to be able to, be able to serve in the way you've given me to serve. God, I, I pray that each and every person that calls us home will find that place. God, that they'll... They'll be convicted to stand up and take hold of their authority and live in that responsibility. And that they'll stand locked arms together, partners in your mission. God, we thank you. We thank you. Jesus, we thank you for making it possible. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.